I want to welcome those of you who are listening via podcast too as well. We're in our series through the book of 1 Thessalonians. Um, this is our fifth week actually, and as you've already heard the passage, chapter 2, verse 13 through 16. And this whole book, this letter was written to the church in Thessalonica, and Paul was reminding the church there that Jesus is coming back. That Jesus one day is going to return. And he charges us in Scripture that we need to live our lives daily as if he's coming back today. Because we really don't know the day or the hour that Jesus is returning, but he's coming back. I've titled the sermon today, God's Word at Work in You. God's Word at Work in You. Before I jump into the passage and we'll dissect it today, let me give you some context here about uh, just a little bit about this letter. This letter was written um, during the time where the formal religion of the Jews, the Jewish society, was Judaism. Um, the Judaism is the religion of the Jews that was established back, um, way back in the Old Testament when, when God made a covenant promise to Abraham to number his seed like the stars of the sky and like the sands of the earth. And, and then from there we see it progressing into the, the Mosaic law, the Torah, where the scripture and the law was given to God's people and, and that's how they lived their lives, that's how their life was governed. So if we fast forward to the New Testament now, the keepers of the law are the rabbis uh, who orally translated and interpreted the law, a sect of men called Pharisees. And these men lorded the law of Moses over the people, over the people of Israel. And so by the time that Jesus arrived on scene, the Pharisees had so um, oppressed the people with the law that Jesus came and he began to preach a new word, a different gospel, a gospel that took them back to a covenant, but at the same time was establishing a new covenant. Jesus came and he said, I am the living word. I am the son of God. I, in essence, am God in the flesh, God incarnate. The Jews hated him for it. And the, 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 the rabbis or the Pharisees held so strongly to to the old law um, that governed their society, that um, they, were, they were really concerned about anyone who would um, make any claim against their religion and impress others to come and embrace another gospel, another religion outside of their own. And so if you were in Jewish society, if you were, was of Jewish descent, and you made a decision to embrace any other gospel than the gospel of Judaism, you ran the risk of becoming a target for oppression, for isolation, for excommunication, and even execution. And so imagine, if you will, that when Paul writes this letter, 
He's writing to a church that has been completely oppressed by the Judaizers, the, the, the religious leaders of their day. And they've been oppressed to the point to where um, these people in the church are scared to really embrace the doctrine of Christ for fear of persecution. And so Paul's writing this letter as a reminder to them that this, this gospel that Jesus has introduced this new way of life, this new kingdom is the right way. So he reminds the church in Thessalonica of that, and he also reminds us the same thing today, that, that often as a result of our faith, we are going to face all kinds of opposition. But here's what he wants us to know, and here's what God wants us to know. The opposition that doesn't come um, as a result of anything other than the fact that the enemy does not want to see the gospel of Jesus Christ perpetuated in this earth. See, we are not the focus. People are not the focus. The gospel is the focus. And we are not the cause for the oppression the saving grace of Jesus Christ is the cause for the oppression of the gospel. And so Paul sits down and he writes here in this passage and he brings to us to remembrance of this. He starts off in verse 13 and he says this, chapter 2. He says, when we also thank God constantly for this, that when you receive the word of God which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you, believers. And when Paul says, we thank God constantly for this, he's, he's really reaching back to chapter 1, I believe verse 2, where Paul says, you know, I give thanks to God for you, church, constantly in my, in my, in my memory, because I remember your faith. I remember your steadfastness. I remember your, your labor of love and your hope in Jesus Christ. I remember that. And then he, he comes back and he says here in verse 13, he says, I also thank you for this. Thank God for this. And he says, because the work of God is evident in you. And his word is at work in you. And here's how I know it. He says, because you've embraced the gospel. You've embraced it. You know, Jesus makes this statement in John, John 6 and 44. He says, no man can even come to the Father except, except, no man can even come to me except for the Father who sent me draws him. So here's what's amazing about that verse. I'm just hearing the Lord tell me to slow down. We cannot receive the word of God unless the Father enables us to hear. It's impossible. And Paul says, you've, you've heard this word but you just didn't hear it. You received it. And you just didn't receive it. You, you embraced it. 
Somehow these words that came from me to you, you heard them as the words of God himself. Brings me to my point. The point is spiritual effects of the teaching of the gospel are not man-made. They're God-made. It doesn't matter how eloquent a person can speak. If God doesn't infuse his word with the power of the Holy Spirit, you'll never be affected the way that the Holy Spirit wants to through the word of God. Every week, family, I stand up here and I, I, I try to express to you and explain to you as best I can what I believe God is saying to you through his word. And, and I constantly pray that when I'm teaching, that, that, that I pray that you hear the word of God, his words that come through me. Because the words of a man are simply just that. They're, they're the words of a man unless they're infused with the power of the Holy Spirit because it's the Holy Spirit that reveals the truth of God through the word of God. Let me say that again. It is the Holy Spirit that reveals the truth of God through the word of God. And so the hearing the word of God as the word of God has nothing to do with man. It is without question the work of the Holy Spirit. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, he says, the message of the cross or the message of the gospel is foolishness to those who are perishing. That word perishing means foolishness to those who have not been enlightened by the power of the Holy Spirit. He says, but to those of us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And then Paul goes on to write in, in the second chapter of that same book, he says, that those of us who have embraced the gospel who have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, we are empowered with an understanding that God freely gives to those who embrace the gospel. And then he goes on to say this, and as we impart this, and we impart this not in words taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. See, the, 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 the understanding of man that is carnal can never understand the spiritual things of God. That's the point. So the point Paul's making here is he, as he writes in verse 13, he says, I thank God that he has opened the spiritual eyes of your understanding to receive his word. Let me tell you something, family. That is something that none of us should take for granted. We shouldn't take for granted that just because we're sitting here under the teaching of, of the gospel and, and, and that we're in a church service that, that the word of God comes forward and we, and we automatically receive it because that's not the way it happens. God gives us the ability to embrace his word and to understand it. Jesus makes this statement in Matthew chapter 16. He says, he says to his disciples as he's talking to them, he says, who do men say that I am? His disciples say, well, some say that you're John the Baptist. Some say that you're Jeremiah. Some say that you're Elijah or one of the other prophets. And then Jesus says, well, then, well, who do you say that I am? Peter says, you are the Christ. You are, you, you are the Messiah. You are the son of the living God. You are God in the flesh. And listen to what Jesus says to Peter. 
you know, and you would think that it'd be a no-brainer. Here's God in the flesh walking amongst his people. You think that it's just a no-brainer. Obviously, we'd be able, we should be able to know that you are the Christ. That's not the case, and Jesus knows it. So he looks at Peter, and he says, he says, blessed are you, Peter. He said, because flesh and blood did not reveal that to you. My Father has revealed this to you. See, we can't take for granted that just because we sit under good teaching, that that gives us the ability to hear the voice of God. That is not the case. And I was born and raised in, in a Pentecostal holiness church, man. I've seen a little bit of everything. It's the truth. Man, I mean, I have seen demons manifest in the middle of the service, and I've watched people walk over just unafraid and lay hands on that person and cast that demon out. And I'm back there saying, save me, Jesus, save me, Jesus, save me, because, you know, I don't want those demons to get in me, you understand. I've watched God physically heal people of afflictions. My sister was healed from cerebral palsy, had lost the use of her arms and her legs. God healed her instantly. My mom was diagnosed when I was 17 years old with a rare, aggressive form of cancer. They gave her 6 to 12 months to live. That was almost 50 years ago. And yet I said in a service with a bunch of other people sitting there hearing the same word, the same gospel. And today, many of those men and women, their lives have not been transformed. We cannot take for granted that we have our own ability to hear the word of God and hear the gospel because we don't. That ability is given to us through the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit. That's the distinction I want, I want you to see. That's what Paul wants us to see here. He says, you can hear the word. You can even receive the word. You can hear it and receive it and not embrace it. It's, it's like this bottle of water here. If I'm thirsty, somebody can give me this bottle of water. I can, I can receive the bottle of water, but unless I open this cap and drink it, I don't embrace it, and it won't do me any good. <laughs> Paul says this. He says, but you not only heard the word, you received it. You embraced it as the word of God. And it's God that caused this, that to happen. It's God who caused you to hear. And here's what we know. We know that you've heard the word and that you've embraced it because we see it at work in you. It's active and it's alive in your life. You're doing what it says. And because you're doing what it says, you become imitators, not just of us, but also of the churches of God in Christ that are in Judea. And if you remember back in chapter 1, Paul says, you know, that, that, that your lives are, have become um, examples to, to imitate both in Macedonia and Achaia. And now he's talking about Judea. Macedonia and Achaia are about, uh, about 1,000 miles by boat northwest of Judea. And Paul is saying, 
the same God, the same spirit that we see at work in Judea is also at work in Macedonia and Achaia. It's also at work in you in Thessalonica. It's active. It's alive. And you became imitators of that. And guess what? You suffered greatly as a result of it. The evidence of the, of the grace of God and the, the word of God at work is in, in you is be, and that you've embraced the gospel is that you've suffered greatly for it. And this is how we know. Second point, that the word of God is at work in you. Because through your suffering, you've learned to endure hardships. Let's pick it up in verse 14. Paul says, for you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. And you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews who both who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out and displeased God and opposed all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved. And so now because you've embraced the gospel and you become imitators, you're suffering the same hardship and persecution from your people as we have from our people. Hmm. So how could the, the disciples in Thessalonica endure these hardships? That's the question. I think we find the answer in chapter 1, verse 6, where Paul says, he says, you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction, watch this now, with the joy of the Holy Spirit. God's word at work in you produced this insatiable joy so powerful that it enables you to, to walk in freedom and not lose hope or get angry with God in the face of your greatest hardships. This, this joy of the Lord enables you that no matter what you're going through, no matter how tough your times might be, even in times where you simply don't understand what God is doing, this joy sustains you. So the question is, how do you get through the toughest times of your life? I suggest to you that it should be by trusting the promises of God that our Heavenly Father has made to us that are found in his word. You know, I heard Lee talking earlier about trusting in God through the tough times. I sat down with a woman this, this week, 32 years old. Her husband was taken from her like this, and now she's a widow. We're sitting there in the office, and she doesn't understand how this could happen. Here one minute, gone the next. And so she's talking to me in my office, tears streaming down her face. And the more she talks, the more I hear the word of God coming out of her spirit. And she's saying things to me without saying them, but she's quoting Nehemiah 8 and 10 that says, God says that in our grief that he would enter in and the joy of the Lord would be our strength. She's quoting scriptures like Psalms 30 and 5 where the Bible says, it may seem like God is angry with me for a moment. 
She says, and when I lay my head down at night, it's the nighttime that's the most difficult because I'm not busy anymore. And I lay down and, and I have all these memories and I began to weep. But the psalmist tells us in Psalms 30 and 5 that weeping may endure for a night. But the joy of the Lord comes in the morning. And then Lee touched on it, and Lee was preaching my scripture, as was someone else I was talking this morning. You know, the Bible tells us in Psalms 23, God promises us that even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, and she is in the valley of the shadow of death, he said, I'll be with you there. I want to meet you there. I'll bring you comfort in the midst of your pain. And so how do you respond to affliction and pain? Do you get angry with God? Or do you take him at his word and lean on the precious promises that our Father has made us? And I'm convinced more than ever, family, more than I've ever been convinced before in my life, that when it comes to the hardships and trials that we face, the word of God, the sword of the Spirit, is the only weapon, the only tool, the only instrument that we need to take into any hardship. The word of God is sufficient for every single thing that we can ever encounter. It is a sword of the spirit. It's all we need. When hardships come, and they are going to come because we all face hardships, we should face them with the sword of the Spirit. Hardships are coming. Where do they come from? They come from those who exhibit ungodly behavior. And there are two types of ungodly behavior. There's conscious ungodly behavior, and there's unconscious ungodly behavior. And Paul here is expressly dealing with the conscious behavior of those who have an ungodly attitude. And he says, those who oppose the gospel. And the truth is, there are many who have always opposed the gospel. He says, those who oppose the gospel, it's evident. And they threw the prophets out. They killed Jesus. And they've persecuted you. He says they've always been around and they're still around. And you can expect that if you live godly, Paul tells us in, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, he says you're going to suffer persecution. And then he says this. This is what the word implies. That the person who expresses ungodly behavior, whether conscious or unconscious, lives a life that is diametrically opposed to the gospel. Now, I heard this this morning in conversation, too. You know, you can be a follower of Jesus Christ and exhibit ungodly behavior. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I mean, I'm, many of us, most of us, none of us have been saved all of our lives. And even though we get saved and we are following Jesus, you know, we got an enemy that's at work. And he knows what buttons to push, doesn't he? And so you can, you can be a follower of Jesus and behave in an ungodly way. And here's the point. Whether a person realizes it or not, if they are opposing someone who's a carrier of the gospel or the good news, 
Paul says that they are opposing the good of all mankind. And here's why. They are casting a death sentence over all mankind by standing in the way of the truth of God that leads to everlasting life. And so to do this, Paul says, is to oppose God himself. Why? Because opposing the gospel places you in direct opposition to God's plan for all of humanity. And to that person, God says, vengeance is mine. He says, and I will repay. You don't have to try to step into my role. You leave that alone because I could do things on my own much better than you can if you get into it. He says, vengeance is mine, and I will repay. My judgment awaits that person who stands in the way of the gospel. And so when we, when we let God be God, the third evidence that God is at work in our lives is that we know that we can patiently expect God's justice. I'm going to pick up verse 14 for sake of context and read all the way through. Paul says, For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out and displeased God and opposed all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they may be saved. Get this now. So as always to fill up the measure of their sins. But wrath has come upon them at last. There are two consequences that I see from this passage. The first, Paul says, someone that stands in the way of the gospel, he says their sins will express themselves in full measure. In other words, they they will be consumed or are being consumed by the reality of their sin. James says it this way. He says, says, don't let a man say, a man shouldn't say that, oh, I'm tempted, I'm, I'm, I'm tempted of God. No, you're tempted when you're drawn away and enticed by your own lust. And then he says this. He says, and lust that is conceived, or once it's in there and takes root, he says it brings forth sin. He says, and sin, when it is finished, when it comes to full fruition, he says, death is the result. That's the full measure. And Paul writes for us in Romans chapter 6, he says, the wages or the payment for sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. So there's consequences of sin. And that consequence brings that person's sin to full fruition. That's the first thing. The second is they must stand in the face of judgment, God's judgment, God's wrath in his fullness. In in, in verse 16, the ESV uses the word but. But this word could actually be substituted with the word and, very easily exchanged here. And so if we did that, it would make the sentence read like this. And at last, the wrath of God has come upon you. That word, at last, that, that statement there is a, is a present tense statement. It speaks of a, of a durative action, an ongoing action that's continual and doesn't stop. It's a durative action and a kind of action. It's not a time of action. That's important. It's a kind of action that's continuous. 
again and again. And so what Paul is saying is the wrath of God has come and continues to come at, continues to come on those who stand in the way of the gospel. And here's the reality, and Lee, you can bring your team up. When, it's, when it comes to the wrath of God, the reality is that the wrath of God began and was inaugurated with the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. God poured out his wrath, his full wrath on Christ. And so for those of us who choose to embrace the gospel of Christ, God withholds his wrath from us. But for those who refuse the gospel of Jesus, the wrath of God is poured out on them to oppose the gospel to stand in the way of the gospel is to oppose God himself and stand under the wrath of God. And so this passage offers an obvious question for us today. Whose wrath would you rather face? Would you rather face the wrath of your, of your, your countrymen, your friends, your co-workers, or your family? Would you rather face the wrath of God? See, if you if you oppose the gospel and stand in rebellion against it, you escape the judgment of your friends and of your family, but you don't escape the judgment of God. But if you if you oppose your friends and, and embrace the gospel, then you escape the wrath of God. And for those of us who embrace it, Eternity with the loving Father belongs to us. So there are two choices. You can stand in direct opposition to God, and as a, someone who's never embraced the gospel, you can just say, I refuse to embrace it. And you can walk out of here today not knowing Jesus Christ and run the risk of his return. Run the risk of never embracing the gospel. And as he said last week, realizing that the reality of hell is real, but it's too late. The second choice is maybe you're a follower of Jesus. And you've, you've found yourself in some repetitive sin. And you've grown comfortable in it. And you hear the voice of the Lord today telling you, you know what? Enough's enough, man. I'm drawing you to myself through the person of Jesus Christ, through the words that you're hearing today. And the writer in Hebrew said, in the day that you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. The choice is yours. In either case, God is speaking. It's bringing you a point of, to a point of decision. What's he saying to you? And then what will you do about it? Let's pray. God, all of us here desire to have your word at work in our life. All of us in here who are followers of you desire to be examples for, for
for others to follow, imitators of the grace that has been given to us through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, our Savior on the cross. Lord, I'm not naive to think that we have it all figured out no matter how long we've been living for you because this is what I know. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But your word declares in 1 John 1 and 9 that there's grace for that. And so in this time of introspection, I ask that as, as we search our hearts, that we will allow your Holy Spirit to search us as well. And let your word that has already began a work in us complete the work. You said that you would do it. And you are faithful. Pray that your word will work mightily in us in Christ's name. Amen. Now maybe you're here today and, and you'd like to have prayer. We're going to be up at the altar. I'm going to ask the prayer team to come up. And maybe it, it might not be a situation where the Lord has touched your heart over something that was said today. Maybe you're going through a crisis and you just need someone to agree with you in prayer. We would love to pray with you. Or maybe you are here and it's the first time that, that you've really heard the voice of the Lord and you want to embrace the gospel of Jesus Christ and know more about that. We would love to meet you here as well. Or maybe you just need prayer because you're a follower and you're struggling with, with a sin issue in your life and you want to give it up and you just want someone to agree with you in prayer. It doesn't matter what, what it is. We'll be here because we would love to pray with you.